Amen. So good to see you all here today. You, you persevered and pushed through the, the storm clouds and got here. And know God will bless you for that. Amen. Let's continue our, thank you for your continued giving to the kingdom of God, whether online or in person or text. Uh, blessing the kingdom. God blesses you. Amen. It's all God's money anyways, right? We just called to be good stewards of it. And we want to do that to make him uh, pleased. Man, we want to continue remembering those that are in need and prayer. Amen. Those that have lost loved ones. I know the Khan family, we're keeping them in prayer. Amen. Others. Um, was brought to my attention, uh, I think today, I can't remember, but um, a couple that used to come here, they live in Naples, uh, Brother uh, Raphael Fergoza, they used to come and they used to bring boxes of tomatoes and stuff. Uh, his wife is not doing well, she's uh, been in a coma for a few weeks, I think, and it's coming near the end, so um, please remember him, the family that's all affected by that, man, so much is happening this year. Man, we're calling upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Man, please remember those in prayer. Amen. As uh, as you pray. Amen. As uh, we move on to service, we want to have a um, young minister come up, uh, Brother Andy. Andy Galan, if you want to come up. Amen. And uh, he's got a word for us tonight, and uh, let's let him uh, speak to our hearts. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. God is so good. He is good. I tell you, before we start, if it's okay, can we give, give a hand unto the Lord before we get started here? Just one last time that the Lord would have his way and he would lead us in instruction. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Have your way, mighty God, today. Blessed be your name. So it opened up. I didn't even give scripture to the, I'm sorry guys. Uh, Matthew 7, 24, uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 24 through 29. I'll let them, if, if they, I'm not sure how fast they'll be able to do that, but sorry about that guys. So we'll start with therefore, uh, if you say amen, and once you've got, the, well you can, okay they're good, alright, amen, praise the Lord, God is good. <laughs> Therefore, therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which put his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heard, heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his, hand, his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as one of the scribes. So, uh, well, I, I know we've already prayed, but if you don't mind, I'm just going to, real quick, Lord Jesus, have your way today. Lord, let your word come forward. Let, let us be blessed, Lord, by every word, Lord, that comes out and that may minister to one of us. We don't know. It could just be one person, but we know that you're in charge and you handle all the businesses that we are not aware of at times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my short message is a solid foundation. And in a solid foundation, there's three things that uh, that I, I've come to realize that happen. Oh, you may be seated. Thank you. <laughs> a preacher sent, that's number one. Then there's a message that comes forward. And lastly, there's the action that happens from this message. There's a reaction. We find that Jesus sent uh, the, uh, set the momentum and declared uh, what, the pinnacle that what was the pinnacle that should be at the heart of man. For, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount. For those who are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says that the people were astonished because Jesus spoke as of one having authority. And not as one of the scribes. Why is this so important to understand this? The scribe says, the scripture says scribe, which also indicates the scribe was more likely a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. But if you look back at chapters 5, 6, and 7, you'll find that there is much more to be said of what the Lord Jesus Christ was declaring. I assume that it was probably out of the norm of what they were used to 
uh, used to, and that's only a guess. And as I start to think about how he might have said, it makes me wonder, did he look at them with gaze? Did he keep them on the edge of their seats, or did he raise his voice as if to change the atmosphere that made their hearts tremble? Or perhaps it was what he said when he gave the comparison of the two foundations. Either way, they heard it, and they were captivated, captivated by it. We know that Jesus had not declared himself as Messiah, but we know as we learn in the scriptures further along that he was, he was by the people declared Messiah. And his voice is heard not only by the people, but also by the winds and the waters of the sea, and they also obey his voice. The authority that the Lord offers us is his name. And as we know, what there is a story behind his name. There's a message that needs to go forward. And when it's spoken, it must be declared in faith and truth without doubt. So, I, so many of you might wonder, uh, just to give, make you wonder a little bit, at times I've, uh, I've spoke to many people where uh, things have happened to me in the past, but you might be troubled a little bit, or maybe perhaps not, to know that I once built my house on the sand. So I hope that many of us will say, well, I've done that at one time and hopefully have not undone that for a good purpose for the Lord Jesus. You see, I have a secular job, one that requires interaction, conversation, I have no problem with. I have a client that I've used to work with. His name is Doug. Maybe, many of you probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't know him. Anyhow, <laughs> seven years I worked with him. But within my first two years that I worked with him, uh, I wasn't serving the Lord prior to that. I remember uh, coming to him at first and just, uh, just boasting about my knowledge and things that I could do for him, things I could help him. And I know it was complete arrogance. And the Lord identified that. He showed it to me. This is, of course, after two years of working with him. Doug heads back home. He comes back. Year three, um, I remember telling him, uh, you know, things are a little bit different for me today. And he looks at me and he says, well, how so? So I just start sharing things of him, you know, as I remember when I said to you that you were my boss, that I was, I was my own boss and I could fire people or not, have, not train people if I didn't have to, if I desired to. If they spoke to me rudely, they looked at me wrong, or, or something was said that wasn't appropriate, I would cut them from the list. And I said to him, now you're my boss. I said, but not only are you my boss, I have many bosses. All my clients, I started to, uh, the treatment was much different. I looked at them with more, a little bit more, res actually a lot more respect. I honored what they did for me, not simply because they were my clients and they were my bosses, but more importantly, because they provided for my family. God allowed these things to happen in my life, not so that I would lose sight of who I was, but to identify what I had become and what I needed to be undone from. It should be no surprise to anyone that I didn't pick up. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped along here. So anyhow, in, do, in saying so, I remember he, he told me a story that kind of took me back a little bit. And what he said to me was, he was working with a, uh, one of his uh, employees, and in his employees, he spoke to the individual, and the individual said, you know, you could do this job better if you do it this way. And he looked at her, and he said, well, that would be for you, and if you can do that, you can go start your own business and do it your way. But in my place, we're going to do it my way. So to, to better understand, I, I never picked up on that until he came back on the third year. I understood that he was declared, he was saying, this establishment is mine, and I have authority, and I say the last word here. And in doing so, he also had the last word with me, considering I was just, again, just an employee. So, again, to no surprise, like I said, I didn't pick up any of that until the third year. I didn't care, nor did I understand the moral of the story. This is where I realized my arrogance stood. He was the authority of his talents, I said before. And again, as he came back, I shared stories with him of things that he, he knew nothing about. I was singing a different tune. I was no longer my own boss, but I was, I had, like I said to him, I met many bosses. I shared with him a story, some that he found a little bit funny to, uh, to probably relate to. Of course, we're Pentecostals. So I share him a little bit of a, the outcome that happens here. So I proceed to tell my thoughts of God, of God how he changed me. He went, he went from being my client to my friend, to someone who I could talk to, to someone I could pray for, 
when he was in trouble or in pain. Many questions arose, as I said. I answered many as best as I could. He was a different denomination. I tried my best. I tried my best to share. I didn't push. I only kind of walked with him. I talked with him until one day things started to change for him, and he was no longer my client. I won't add to that. We can kind of figure out what happened from there. And it's a pain that, uh, that I live with sometimes. Authority is access through humility. Humility gives you access, gives the Lord access to your heart. The Lord refers, refers to authority a little bit better other than what we would like to think about it at first. First thing, he says, if we must, I'm sorry, we must deny ourselves. Imagine that. I deny myself. How is that any form of authority? I thought to myself at first. But it makes perfect sense. It was exactly the opposite. When we deny ourselves, we give the ultimate authority to the Lord Jesus Christ to have dominion and power over our lives. It's through his mercy and by his grace that we obtain this authority. We must deny ourselves. We must have, an ev as the evangelist that was here last Thursday said, we must give up our throne. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that should be sitting on the throne. He is the one that we, we, should listen, we, we are listening to and taking instruction from. His word is our instruction. His voice, his word is our, his voice. His word is his manifestation. His word is redeeming and powerful. His word is able to scare the devil from the place where we never thought he'd be able to scare from. You can stand in darkness and call in the name of the Lord, and Christ will deliver you. He is my rock. He is my deliverer. He's a healer. He's the El Shaddai. He is nipnit. He is omnip, omnip, I'm sorry, omnipotent, omnipotent, thank you. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the strength in my bones. He has the manna that nourishes me early in the morning, that makes me adore him the more and more as when I seek him before I sleep. Our obedience to his doctrine brings us closer to him. When he found me, I was broken, misunderstood, lost, confused. I destroyed, I destroyed my house on the sand. He led me to the rock where I then rebuilt my home. Let me say why I said destroy the house. Because trust me, when, when you go back to it, if it still stands, you've got to take it down. It stands no more so that the new one is the only one standing, which is the one the Lord has put up for you. In Luke 17, 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And then in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus' words were clear. They rang when they heard them said. He defined them what was good and evil, and he was telling them the difference between the wise and the foolish. Doctrine, that need to be held. Doctrine needs to be held and embraced because it was a matter of life and death. Jesus was teaching them that that his doctrine was true and that it was firm and that it would not fail. I hope the Lord has blessed you with this, with this small message. Thank you and God bless you and Pastor Locke. Amen. Appreciate that, Brother Andy. Amen. We uh, spent so many years trying to build sandcastles and they never last. But once you get into God, he gives you the the good, the concrete and all that stuff to help make it last, amen. But you have to, like what he said, you have to go back and make sure that the house is torn down. Otherwise, it will always be there as an access point. But I'm thankful that he delivered us from out of that miry clay and set our feet on that rock to stay. Amen. And we have the authority and power through his name as long as we remain on the rock and not try to get off um, elsewhere. Amen. And so um, tonight, um, my passage of scripture is going to be found in Daniel, the second chapter. Start reading verse 31. And the word of the Lord says, Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The, image had, the image's head 
was of fine gold, and his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. And thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them into pieces. Then was the iron and the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken into pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight from this title, The Great Reset. The Great Reset. Turn to a few people, wave at them, give them a high five, and you may be seated. Amen. Um, Two weeks ago, we finished up our series, Declared and Delivered, and we were looking at specific events and things that the Word of God had declared and actually seeing them happen and come to pass throughout the eons of time. And as fascinating as it might be to some, we know, and it's what the series text was based off of, Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so we saw exactly that happening time after time, instant after instance. We saw how Israel was impacted just by that very verse and the power and the weight behind the word of God. Uh, Israel was impacted by the very spoken word of God when they disobeyed, the curses spoken of were activated and were paid Israel a visit. But when Israel humbled themselves and they submitted themselves to the word of God, the blessings spoken of, those then were activated and Israel benefited from them. And we saw the power of the Sabbath year and in obedience to it and disobedience to it. And we finished up with the year of Jubilee, the great reset and restoration that happened every 50 years. And as we learned, this powerful 50-year event had touched America since the year of Jubilee that was resurrected in 1867 with the great American writer Mark Twain visiting Jerusalem and fulfilling prophecy that was spoken by Moses some 3,500 years ago. And most recently in 2017 when President Trump officially recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital by moving our embassy there. And within the last hundred years, we have witnessed the rebirth of the nation of Israel. But for nearly 2,000 years, Israel was nowhere to be found. Israel had disappeared just barely surviving in the shadows of this world and only alive in the Jewish people themselves, but never really a a nation. Uh, But what does it say when Israel, the people of God, suddenly arise out of the ashes and arrive on the world scene? What does that mean? Restored as a nation with Jerusalem as its capital now, Is that a miracle or a prophetic event? I would say both. And what it means is, is that we are in the final chapter of life as we know it. Time as we know it. Uh, So we had better be living right and seeking the face of God more than ever because the return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is just around the corner. I truly believe that. And I know we've heard that all of our life. You've heard it all your life. But we heard it when Tel Aviv was Israel's capital. We didn't hear it when Israel, when Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And now it is. Times have changed since we last thought about it and last heard about maybe when the return of our Lord and Savior. And since we've been searching the scriptures concerning 
the nation of Israel and witnessing prophecies come to pass concerning them, I think it maybe it's only fair, I guess fair for us, and uh, that we start searching the scriptures and the prophecies concerning you and I. Because if we are truly, truly living in the last days, then there are plenty of scriptures that apply to you, to me, the church, and everyone apart from the Jews and even the Jews. We listen to sermons week after week referencing and mentioning Israel and the word of God, the Jewish people, and we make those spiritual connections to uh, the word of God and symbolic associations with us and Israel and uh, how God did tell Abraham that his seed would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Well, we as the church are Abraham's seed, the stars of the sky, and while the Jews are the physical seed, the sand of the seashore. There are indeed promises and prophecies that are for the seed of Abraham, whether star or sand. But there are principles and prophecies that only apply to the sand, and there are others that apply to the stars. And we just mentioned the year of Jubilee and how miraculous uh, as we saw its power even just a few years ago in 2017, uh, the 150th year since 1867, and we saw Jerusalem restored as its capital. But as awesome as the year of Jubilee is, that really doesn't really concern you and I all that much. We don't mar- we don't mark out our calendars every 50 years for uh, a reset and a restoration of everything to its original purpose and original owners. That because that that really kind of applies to the sand, doesn't necessarily apply to the stars in the sky, the physical seed and descendants of Abraham. Those are the ones who who grow up and who are taught about the year of jubilee and the Sabbath year and and all those things. But we as the stars, we really don't live our lives. Uh, revolving around Sabbaths and animal sacrifices and, and temples, physical temples. And the Jews, yes, they're concerned about those things. Many things um, uh, about you and I, Gentiles, we don't concern ourselves about those things too much because we've, we can see in Scripture how we've, how we've moved on from those things. Um, and yet we are grafted into all of this, all of God's plan being a... Being a Gentile, many things don't directly concern us, especially the Old Testament. And uh, we obviously see how it was pointed and directing towards the Messiah and Savior. Uh, and obviously the New Testament more applies to us. But we doesn't mean we discard the Old Testament because we wouldn't have gotten here without the Old Testament. And so we have to uh, extract what we can from the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, and uh, all those uh principles and and precepts that were established in the Old Testament. We try to apply them to our lives as best we can, but uh, many things just just really don't apply to the Gentiles and the churches, uh, as I gave a point um, to sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and jubilees, and Sabbaths, and those things. But, uh, but as Paul writes in Romans that we are not under the law, but we are under the under grace. And I truly believe that the dispensation of grace, that the church age, is God's ultimate plan. That's his uh, finished plan product. But Israel wouldn't let go of the old system. God was trying to bring them into a new system, a system of grace and uh, under the dispensation of grace. But Israel would not let go of the old system. They held on to the law and therefore... They crucified the Messiah that came to save them. But the the crucifixion of our Messiah gave birth to something great. It gave birth to the church. It gave birth uh, to a way, it created a way for us Gentiles to experience the salvation of God. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for the salvation and the grace of God that he went to the cross and he died for you and I so that we can experience this thing called salvation. 
And so since Israel rejected Jesus, God kind of hit pause a little bit on their plans because his whole plan was to bring them uh, into this new dispensation of, of, of the church age. But his nation, the, the, the people of Israel, kind of just kind of hung back and let Jesus go on without them. And so Jesus kind of hit the pause button, if you will, on Israel's program for a while. Um, and he directed a lot of his attention, much of his attention to the new man, the new creation, the new thing, the, the church. He directed it to his body, his bride that he had purchased with his blood. And so Israel uh, eventually kind of moved to the back burner, if you will, and the church took the full center stage because that was his plan from the beginning is this uh, we, how we become the, the temple of the Holy Ghost. The indwelling of the Spirit of God is inside of us. That's what God was trying to bring Israel to uh, and give them a new heart and a new mind uh, formed and fashioned after Jesus Christ, but they could not see it. They did not want to accept it, and so therefore they're held on to the old law, the old ways. And so God said, uh, well, i got to put pause, put pause on, on you guys, and I'm going to focus on the church. Um, and so the church has been the focus, really, for the last 2,000 years, not saying that God forgot about Israel. He can't forget about Israel because he made an everlasting covenant with Abraham that they would always have a land, that there would always be a people, and nothing could ever destroy that or, or break that eternal covenant. God said, no matter what happens, this is an unconditional covenant with I am making with you, Abraham. There, you will always have a people that will serve me, and I, you will always have this land forever. And so God cannot forget about Israel, um, but uh, he, he moved some things around in the forefront of uh, the, the time, and the church became front and center because that's what he died for. That's what he purchased us with, his blood. And so the church has been the focus for the last 2,000 years, and nearly for all of those years, the nation of Israel has been silent as they were scattered across the earth. And while the church has been growing and strengthening and increasing its presence all across the world and thriving and, and being a light to this world, of the past 2,000 years, only about 100 years, has the church and Israel been on the stage at the same time. Forty of those years were in the beginning. With the formation of the church, obviously the church was started with Jews. And so when the church began on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, uh, the church was started there and the nation of Israel was still there, still on the stage. And while Israel and the church were there together in the beginning, eventually they began to spread apart. Less and less Jews were joining the church and more and more the Gentiles were receiving this plan of salvation, uh, the, the grace of God they were accepting in their lives. And uh, more and more Gentiles started darkening the doors of the church. And then in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was conquered. The temple of the Almighty God was burned down and the nation of Israel disappeared. Some 40 years after the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Uh, 40 years after the church had started. And so for those initial 40 years, Israel and the church were there together in the world. And while Israel disappeared off the map in 70 A.D., the church remained and continued to strengthen itself. And so... If Israel had been absent in the world, and only so in the past 60 years has it been restored, then now, once again, the church and Israel are together in the same world. And that means something, that really means something when Israel and the church are now present together. To be in the church at the same time as the nation of Israel is present on the world. And, and not only that, but to witness Jerusalem being proclaimed as Israel.
Israel's capital in 2017. That is monumentous in prophecy and in scriptures. And the church was here to witness that event. The church and Israel are here together. Talk about a time to be alive. Talk about a time to be on this earth. The last time the church and Israel were together was a miraculous time. We read of miracles happening when Israel and the church were together. We read of blinded eyes being opened and lame were walking and the dead were raised to life. That's when Israel and the church existed together. And so now we are together again means that there's going to be miracles and signs and wonders done in the earth through the church just like it was in the early days when we were reunited back then. And we are witnessing that. And have been for some time. It's great to be alive in this day. And I just don't want to hear about miracles, signs, and wonders happening. But I want to see them with my own eyes. I want to witness them with my own eyes. I want to hear them with my ears and see them. And and I believe that God, that what God is preparing us for and where he's taking this church, we will see the book of Acts happen again as it was back in the early days. We will see things that we haven't seen before. And we will see a mighty outpouring of God's spirit in the earth because it happened in the early days when Israel and the church were together and now so too again these days do we see Israel and the church present and I want to be awake to see it all you can be here on the earth while you can even be in the church while uh, Israel is here but you if you're if you're asleep you can miss everything you can miss, uh, if you weren't paying attention, you, you, could, you missed it in 2017 where Jerusalem all of a sudden became the capital. If you weren't paying attention, you, may, you were asleep, you could miss those things. And so just because we're in the church today or we, we know about the church does not mean that we're awake and we're, we're being watchful and we're looking around. We can still be in the church and be asleep and miss out on what God is wanting to do. And so I don't want to be dry and calloused over that I miss out on what God is doing in these last days. Israel was spiritually asleep, and they missed out on what God was trying to do. And look what happened to them. They disappeared for 2,000 years because they weren't paying attention. They crucified their Messiah, their Savior, the one who would to bring them in uh, in this world. They, they killed him. And they missed out. They missed out. God obviously knew that, and he he uh, he used that for his crucifixion to be crucified. Um, thankfully, that that happened because we wouldn't be here today if that hadn't happened. We'd be wasting our time, I guess. And so things for Israel were on a downward spiral, really. If you look at it in the the lineage of time, since the peak with King Solomon, after King Solomon built that magnificent temple and dedicated and uh, the, the grand event that happened there, the glory of God came down. They couldn't even, uh, they couldn't minister because the, the glory of God was so thick. And uh, shortly after that, that was around the peak of, of Israel's prosperity, of their, of their glory, if you will, their light in the world. And even King Solomon, who was there, uh, talking and prophesying in the presence of Almighty God, even he in, in, the, in his last days wasn't holding on very well. He started to slip in his later years and helped bring in idolatry into the nation of Israel. And so ever since then, Israel was kind of on the downward spiral. And things really weren't the same once Israel was destroyed and the Jews were exiled to Babylon in 586 by King Nebuchadnezzar, that event there changed the world. A a great reset took place, one that God allowed his people to become captives of a godless Gentile nation. Once God allowed that to happen, things changed. Once the people of God who, who once lived free and were a nation of their own, once they uh, were, were come in and they were conquered and, and drug off as slaves to a, a godless nation, things changed after that. 
We know that God is the one in charge, and, and he is the one who raises up kings and sets them down. He's the one who uses them to do his will. We see this in Romans 13. Paul tells us, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that are that be are ordained of God. And so if Babylon rose to power and invaded and destroyed Israel and Jerusalem, then we know that God allowed it to happen. There's no way it could happen without God knowing it. And what happens when a nation is conquered and what happens when a new king takes power, a reset happens. A reset happens with a, with a new king in power comes new laws and new ways of doing things. So a reset occurs in the lives of those that are affected by it. Uh, Jerusalem and, and the nation of Israel had a reset in 586. Things changed. 586, a reset. Now they're carried off to Babylon. There's, there's all kinds of these strange gods, strange customs and that they were forced to learn of and, and submit to or at least try to be submitted to. Um, we see that in Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, or they were forced to, but uh, God had the, the ultimate say in that event. And so, uh, but they were carried off, and a reset happened. Things changed. It's a matter of moments. Their worlds were literally turned upside down. And so, we experience that a little, you and I, when we get a new president. Things change. Uh, maybe not so much in the grand scheme, but little things here and there, the way things are operating and, and the viewpoint and uh, paths that are chosen change. And so a, a reset happens in, in that every four or eight years, depending on that, and we'll see, we'll see in November if we have a, a reset or we're continuing on for four more years. Uh, we'll see then. Um, and when a change affects the whole world, then we could probably call that a great reset. And so with the conquering of the people of God in 586, a shift took place. A, a plan unfolded and a, a door was opened. A, a, a stopwatch was started and a, a, a time uh, was stamped. Uh, but only for a certain time was this door open. Jesus talks about this time. That began back then in Luke 21, 24. They shall fall by the edge of the sword, talking about Jerusalem uh, and the Israelites, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so Jerusalem had already been trodden down by Gentiles in 586 with King Nebuchadnezzar when they came in and conquered things. That was the first time. But 600 years later, Jesus is saying these very words, that uh, Jerusalem will be trodden down by Gentiles, which means the times of the Gentiles began in 586 B.C. and was still in effect in Jesus' day, but, but because he was speaking of a future event, something that still hadn't happened yet. And so the times of the Gentiles, there is a designated period of time in Scripture, as Jesus says, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. God has given to the Gentiles uh, a specific amount of time. At some point, this time will be fulfilled, as Jesus says, waiting for this, the times of the Gentiles to be fulfilled, meaning that some type of reset is going to happen. Something's going to happen when that door is closed, when the times of the Gentiles is over, the stopwatch is stopped, and that time, that period is no longer permitted in the hands of God. The door to the Gentiles is closed because that time has been fulfilled. We don't know how long that time is, but uh, we are still here and we are Gentiles. And so we only know that it's still going on, but we don't know when it's coming to an end. And so this, this event is going to affect the whole entire world. And and it's going to affect Israel. And so what is this event? How much time is left 
for the times of the Gentiles. Well, let me tell you, the fact that Israel reappeared on the scene and is a nation again and just had Jerusalem reinstated as its capital, that must mean that the times of the Gentiles is probably close to being fulfilled since Jesus was talking about Jerusalem and the Gentiles having dominion over it. Uh, and so if, if now all of a sudden Jerusalem's back on the scene uh, after about 2,000 years of, of Gentile ruling the world and now the people of God rise up out of nowhere, maybe we're getting close to the end of the times of the Gentiles. Musicians of you would come. And hearing Jesus talk about times of the Gentiles and about this time being fulfilled, being a Gentile, I would hope that it kind of stirs your heart a little bit, that Jesus' words stir your heart and your soul, especially with all that is going on in the world right now. And here we are talking about the great reset in the last days and the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. If I wasn't in the church and I heard about all of this, I don't know what I would think, but I would probably maybe have a nervous breakdown if I realized I was a Gentile and the times of the Gentile is closing trying to figure all of this out and, and worrying about tomorrow and, and what's coming the next day and what's coming next week. If I wasn't in the church, then I'd probably not be getting uh, the sleep that I used to get. And uh, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I, I know uh, that I, I'm, I'm not some lost Gentile in the world, but that we are in the church. We are in a place of safety, a place of refuge. Why? Because we receive the gospel of the salvation we repented of our sins. We baptized in Jesus' name. We were filled with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God is inside of us. And so I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I don't need to fear about what it may hold because God did not give us a spirit of fear. We shouldn't be afraid of what happens tomorrow or when uh, things happen or what the great reset entails. Or We shouldn't be afraid of uh, the times of the Gentiles. Why? Because we have Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. If you stand with me, he purchased the church with his blood. And if he purchased you and I with his blood, then that means he's not going to leave us or forsake us. And so our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is in his word that is forever settled in heaven. And even though there, there are times coming, hard times coming, we don't need to fear those things. Because we're following the scripture that is given for this time. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and Daniel interpreted that dream and that dream is of the times of the Gentiles. And so Daniel explains what it means as he got the interpretation from the Lord and so we're going to be looking into that and what that means for this world, what that means for you and I and the church. But aren't you thankful for the Word of God and how it tells you not just about salvation, but it tells you what you need to do to experience the salvation in order to be saved. That the Word of God, it also tells us of the future and of the, the, the great resets that are coming and, and what's going to happen at the end of all of this, at the end of the time of the Gentiles. And if you don't know, it works out pretty good for the church. It works out great for the church. It works out pretty good for Israel too, but not very good for the unsaved Gentiles and not good for the enemies of God. But I'm thankful for the grace of God in my life that he gave us this door of opportunity that we can walk through that door and experience the salvation that he has for us. Because we know that since Israel has reappeared on the scene that the times of the Gentiles are going to be fulfilled and are being fulfilled in these very days and this very hour. And I want to make sure that I'm not distracted by what's going on in the world. I don't want to make sure, I don't want to stick my head in the sand and act like nothing's happening. 
happening. Why? Because things are happening all over the world. And, and we got to make sure that we're being watchful. We're being prayerful of things that are happening. Because I don't want to miss out on what God has in store. I want to be right there next to him. Watching things happen and experiencing the power and the glory of God. Because the door is closing. The door is closing. How much time is left, I'm not sure. I've been really diving deep into all of this the past few months. And, you know, we have the, the, the election that's coming up. And I've, I've kind of always thought that Donald Trump will get reelected solely because, solely because of what he's done for Israel. America, America is just a vessel to be to get to bring us to the end times. America has nothing to do with it. It all has to do with Israel, and the fact that he brought reestablished Jerusalem as Israel's capital, um, I thought, and I think that that's if he does get reelected, it's because of Israel, not because of necessarily us. What has America done? That's great. I mean, we we kill, we abort babies every day. Uh, and so if he gets reelected again, I think it's, it's for Israel's purpose. And we're just here for the ride. But, um, but maybe then I started thinking, diving into this and started thinking, well, if, if the only reason that God rose Donald Trump to power was to bring Jerusalem to Israel, and that's all he needed him to do, and the, the door could close after that because the end of the world comes after that. Because Jerusalem has to be instated as the capital in order for the temple and stuff to be built. And if that's the only reason that he was brought to power, then he won't be reelected. And then if, if the other candidate gets voted in and, and if that's the avenue that takes this world to the end of age, then that's the way it's going to be. We don't know. And it, it really shouldn't concern us too much because we should be seeking God every single day. If Donald Trump gets reelected, that's great. We're happy. If Joe Biden gets reelected, well, that's great. That means uh, we're just one step closer to seeing Jesus. Uh, and so we may have our preferences, um, but really, ultimately, our, our greatest preference should be, I want to be with you, Jesus. I'm not going to hold on to a rotten America when I can just go be with Jesus. Right? Uh, and so, um, obviously, these are tumultuous times. These are crazy times right now. Just wait till November. Uh, if the Lord tarries till then, wait till that happens. It's going to be, I think, I personally think either way, whoever gets in, it's, it's, we're going to have some kind of fallout no matter what. Because people, the people out there right now don't like him, and he gets back in, it's, it might escalate even worse. And who knows? But all I know is that God knows what he's doing. And we are in the times of the Gentiles, and this all is for a purpose, a plan, and that is God's plan. We just want to be a part on it. We want to be on the ride and on the right side of history, on the right side of Scripture. And that means we have to be watchful. We have to be prayerful. Even more so as we see the day approaching, we need to be uh, on, the, on it, seeking after God because who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But we know that he holds the future in his hands. And as long as we have Jesus, we, we're going to be okay. Amen. Amen. As we sing, as we close out tonight, why don't we just close our eyes and we raise our hands. Why don't we just begin to thank him for his word, the promises of his word and his salvation, his grace. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, how you've brought us here today. We worship you. We magnify you, Jesus. No matter what happens, Lord, you are in control. Hallelujah, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
Isn't he great? Can we give him some praise? Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for your spirit, Lord, that we feel each and every day. Continue to order our steps, Lord. Lead us and guide us, God, into your perfect will. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.